Good afternoon and welcome to Contramundum. I'm your host, uh, Pastor Andrew Isker, and with me is CJ Engel. Hello, CJ. How are you? Doing great. How are you, Andrew? I'm I'm well. I'm well. Are you having a good 2024? What do you think uh, about this new year? I think it's an excellent year. It's uh it's it's one of the best years I can I can think of. <laughs> oh good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's it's I, I uh, feel like an Andrew, yeah, I, I feel like we haven't talked since last year. It's been way too long, way, way too long. And so, yeah, today, you know, the topic of the show is the plot by the left to drive a fracture into evangelicalism. Uh, you got uh, I, many people, I think, probably have seen it by now, but uh, Aaron Wren published an article, uh, really a, a short review of a book about basically this. And it's it's essentially like a leftist journalist that wrote it, too, kind of like. Kind of like that Time Magazine article right after the 2020 election where they're like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> we totally did yeah, exactly. it. Uh, they're bragging about it. It's kind of like that where it's like, check out these brave, heroic evangelicals who uh, who have pre- saved our democracy and all this kind of stuff. Right. That's kind of the perspective of the book from what it seems like, according to Ren. But I wanted to read some of this uh, review of his and then we can discuss it. Uh so, um, the, the put, name of the book, oh, go ahead. You want to put the link in the chat? Oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I am, uh, technologically able here. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, like, uh, Claudine Gay, I can press control C control V. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> uh, I'll try anyway. I don't know if it'll work, man. All right. Well, Oh, you can't go. do it? What? I can't. I can't. I'm not as good as the former wow. president. Hold on. I'll do it again. I got to use Got too many screens. Too many screens are going out of here. All right. Here we go. All right. Uh, so uh, the, the title of the book that he reviewed is The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. And it's by a guy named Tim Alberta. Uh, and so he's going to – this is kind of a, a pre-review of the review – uh, he's going to review it for the Claremont Review of Books. So, I'll, I'll, you know, once that comes out, we'll we'll share it and things like that. Because I think this is a, a worthwhile. We book should have him on. Review. We should, yeah, we 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 should we should yeah. maybe you know he's he is uh, he goes on podcast. Maybe he will deign to join uh, us bad boys over here at Contramundum. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but uh, he starts out saying, one of the things I found interesting is Alberta's behind the scenes look at the evangelical resistance movement. That is those who vociferously oppose the evangelicals who support Donald Trump. Well, I don't think it's any surprise to people and it's been reported elsewhere in part. This book makes clear with new details. I had not seen before that this is a very organized movement and one funded at least in part with non-Christian financial backing. Um, Anti-Trump evangelicals started getting more organized uh, at least as far back as 2015 And he quotes from the book, in the fall of 2015, Russell Moore met with the Outliers, a group of friends and fellow high-profile believers, Tim Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, Pete Wenner, Wiener, I don't, I don't, you know, your guess is as good as mine how to pronounce that, Uh, the former head of strategic initiatives in the George W. Bush White House, Francis Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health, and David Brooks, the New York Times columnist. They discussed the GOP primary and and, and uh, the attraction of Trump and their differing views of how things would play out when it came to evangelical support for him. Uh, and Ren says a few things interesting here. First, the group of people gave themselves a name, the Outliers. 
Uh, so they were <laughs> a ridiculous name too. Like, I don't know. <laughs> very on, very on brand, very on brand. The outliers. Uh, uh, first, this group of people gave themselves the name the outliers. So they were probably gathering or taking or talking even before this meeting to have reached the point of giving their group a name. Note that Russell Moore is portrayed as a guest of this group. Uh, second, they are meeting in the fall of 2015, a time at which very few people believe Trump would win the GOP nomination, much less the presidency. I'm, I'm on record. I thought as in like August 2015, I'm like he's gonna win, right? And so this is my, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm holding on to that one. Like that's mine. I, I said he's gonna win the nomination and the presidency, and I, I stuck it out. I, I remember on. that we, you and I were both in the RL group at the time. Yeah. that's when we were. That's the, that was where we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Trump is going to win because, yeah. and, and, and for the same, like Ren uh, says this here, uh, and he, he was thinking the same thing. And for the same reasons that I was, he says, I did a podcast with my father on my old feed, which is no longer online. It's end of October, 2015 saying that based on my interaction with folks back home, Trump was a serious candidate. Uh, this actually got some attention for people. So unusual uh, was that at the time, the fact that this group was in existence so early makes me wonder when it had formed. And if they actually predated Trump and were already alienated from the mainstream of evangelicalism. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that. And again, like with the Trump stuff, like I was seeing totally apolitical, like normie uh, friends from high school, like sharing Trump memes all day long on Facebook and, uh, and, and like talking with people back in, in my hometown and, and, and elsewhere. And I'm like, no, this is, this is a big deal. Like he, and, and coupled with like, he was already polling at like 25% in a field of candidate of like 17 candidates. Uh, and so I'm like, no, I think this has staying power. I think like, this is legit. And people thought you don't know anything. I paid to talk about politics and you're wrong. And it's like, well, <laughs> who's right. Um, so anyway, um, the, the point that, that Ren is making is that this group, right? Fall of 2015, they're already gathered together. They're already meeting. And these are, and these are big boys, right? These are like the very top of the evangelical elite, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, Keller, Moore, um, all of these guys, Francis Collins, all of them, right? Very top of that hierarchy within conservative evangelicalism. And so they're already meeting, they're already gathering, they're already worried about Trump, which tells you one thing. Another thing is that like they're not stupid. Right. Yeah. They're not, uh, they're not dumb. Like they, if, if they thought Trump had a chance and was a big, was, you know, had his, the whole thing at staying power and, and he was going to win the nomination or the, the possibility was, was, you know, significant, right. It actually could happen. And they're worried about it. That means they're not as dumb as a lot of people well, think they are. It's also, it's also interesting because I actually had never considered this, you know, just before our conversation right here. Um, the fact that they knew he was a serious candidate, um, it, it it actually does mean that they are aware of like the, how frustrated everyday yes. Americans are with um, with the regime, with D.C. Uh, yes. They just don't care. They just don't care yeah. either. Yeah, yeah they exactly. just don't care. Exactly. No, like last week um, after Christianity Today, which is led now by Russell Moore, uh, you published that that trans uh, article. It was like uh, how to use pronouns. Yeah. The debate on how to use pronouns, as if like there's any question, right? Uh, and it just shows. I mean, it really it just shows like what Russell Moore actually is. Like the it's it's undeniable now that that this guy is you know a lefty 
and totally in their camp. Well, I, I like I like the way I like the way Philip Durda says that he they're, they're collaborationists. So yeah. they're not the they're, they're not the ones that are the driving force of like the leftist endeavors, but they're no. just always collaborating. Wherever the left wants to go, they're on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're not they're not the driving exactly. They're not the driving force behind it. They are they they see which way the wind is blowing and they're going with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. And so, and this is, I mean, this tells you like how sycophantic these personalities are, you know? Um, so, you know, so thinking about this, like one, they, they get the, the real, the political realities that exist and again, they don't care, right? They, mm -hmm. they're just, they're bad people, right? They understand the constituency of conservative evangelicalism and, and what people are frustrated with and angry about, and it doesn't matter to them. They care only about the people in power and being uh, in their good graces, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what this is about. And so, um, you know, another point that Ren makes, third, note the presence of elite journalist David Brooks. He quoted every attendee of the meeting, this meeting, other than Francis Collins in his 2022 essay on the dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself. Uh, Brooks was clearly not just writing as a colonist or sympathetic observer. He is a part of this movement. Uh, I think it's fair to say Alberta too is not an official member of this movement. Uh, if not an official member of this movement is certainly at least a fellow traveler playing a role of elite media, similar to Brooks. Uh, fourth, this illustration or this illustrates how a lot of high level evangelicals have applied the work of sociologist, James Davidson Hunter. Hunter argues that overlapping elite networks at the cultural center are what drive cultural change. We see here that these high profile people are networked with each other and also with people in the elite media. I think it's fair to say that this uh, these efforts have produced no change in American culture as a whole, but it has given the people at the top of those networks immense power over what sociologist Brad Vermeulen called the evangelical field. They very much have had a powerful impact on major evangelical institutions. Additionally, their relationship with the elite media gives them the equivalent of a nuclear arsenal they can use to bomb uh, their evangelical opponents who have no such vehicle for retaliation. Very few people in mainstream professional society or media or major institutions are capable of standing up to the elite media, which is why I called this a nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. right? That's a really important point, right? Because Keller, Moore, all of these guys, they they get offered to write in the New York Times and Washington Post, you know, op-eds. Yeah, that, like that's that. why it's hilarious that they call themselves the outliers. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like they're on the outside. They're they're yeah, marginalized. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. It's none ridiculous. of us, none of us could write an op-ed for the Washington Post. So. I don't think so. I don't think they're gonna. I'm gonna. That phone call is probably not gonna come to either you or me. No. Um, uh, so it, it, it but it, it demonstrates right that that they are plugged in to the not only um, not only the elite within evangelicalism, but the elite within mainstream society. Right. They are they're part of it and they are able to use these things. Um, and so this is the, he brings up a really important point that I think people are really like largely unaware of that, for example, these relationships likely saved Russell Moore's job with the SBC back in 2017. After his attacks on Trump voters in The New York Times and elsewhere, his job was in danger. An article broke this story in The Washington Post and the reporter called Moore. Moore or more aligned black pastor Tabidi Anyawili, or also known as Ron Burns, uh, for a quote. <laughs> Anyawili uh, said more getting fired would have a chilling effect and that 
the fallout will be the denominational signaling to African-American and other ethnic groups that they're tone deaf and disinterested in that membership. Yeah, right. that this is this is the same. This is like it's difficult to overstate how leftist these people are like in the paradigm, the way that they this is the exact same thing that we get every single time. There's, it's yeah. I mean, words like chilling. Second of all, because if we don't agree with them, it means that they're not welcome. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, they, yeah. yeah, they paint this. I mean, that's this, that's just part of, um, you know, the, the, the hegemonic rhetoric that they have over evangelicalism and mainstream American way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so like it, it, um, and, and what it did, I mean, and this is the point that, that Ren makes is that what this did is now, if you are on the board of the ERLC and you were thinking of getting rid of Russell Moore, um, now you can't because the SBC is going to get attacked by the New York times, the Washington post, CNN, everything as racist. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to, they're going to say, Oh, we can't, we can't, what do we do now? We can't do that. Uh, because if we firing him means we're racist. So we can't, we can't do that. And hey, he kept hey, his job. Hey, hey, Andrew, uh, I have to go sign for something real quick. I have a, I have a delivery truck here. I'll be, I'm not kidding. I'll be right. I'll be right back. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep talking. Yeah. CJ uh, is picking up an order of like, you know, 50 gallons of kombucha. So he'll be right back, but I'll, I'll keep going here. He won't know what I'm talking about, so I can say whatever I want now. Um, so uh, he goes on, you know, Ren goes on and says, Alberta also devoted an entire chapter to efforts by Russell Moore, David French, and others to take on their evangelical opponents. He writes, the events of the previous few years haunted each of my companions in unique ways. All of the, all of them vowed that they would spend the next few years fighting the contagion inside the American church. Moore started by building networks. One of the first things Moore did after quitting the Southern Baptist Convention was link up with other Christian refugees. Uh, they were of different generations and races and political persuasions. They were of different denominational backgrounds and worship traditions. What united them was the hard-earned knowledge that something had gone very wrong within American Christianity. Starting in the spring of 2021, Moore had convened a series of private gatherings about how to rebuild the church. The first meeting at a friend's home in Maryland counted 25 participants. The next uh, convening at a resort in Vermont that fall included twice that number. Every time I spoke with Moore over the ensuing year, he reported that the group had grown ever larger. Its footprint became no more visible. There were no creeds or open letters or mission statements. And that, Moore explained, was the entire point. So all this stuff is going on in the background, right? All of these things, they're, they're doing like... People don't th- realize. Uh, I just back. I just read the next part. Uh, I hope oh. I hope Kapuch is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, everything's good. Um, just <laughs> did you see that? Did you see that clip of Tucker Carlson and the Zen delivery? That was you and one giant bottle of kombucha, right? Something like that just went down. It's happening here in California. Gavin Newsom is monitoring the situation. Yeah, yeah. You you received your universal basic kombucha from Gavin Newsom. So, uh, yeah, so I just read the section where Moore is, um, where he talks about how Moore is convening these groups of, of prominent people, uh, and having larger and larger gatherings. And, and Alberta says there, there hasn't been any public stuff happening, right? There's no creeds or open letters or mission statements or anything like that. And Moore says, that's the entire point, right? We're not going to do anything in public, right? This is all in private. Right. So all of these networks and things like this are going on and it's totally behind the scenes. Right. It is um, 
and and this is stuff that like you and I and and probably most of the people watching and listening to this um are to one degree or another aware of right that there is a there is a big club of people in at the very top in the evangelical world that are dedicated to pushing evangelicals to the left mm-hmm. and it's from the top down they understand that populism and democracy and all these are delusion, right? Mm-hmm. Not not only in terms of like politics and culture, but also within the church, yeah. right? That's that's what it isn't. You know, it isn't. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna bring the masses of people. We're gonna get rid of people like Russell Moore and things like that. That's not how it happens. It's the opposite of that. These things right. happen from the top down. The people right. at the wheel they determine the course that things are going to go. Now, now there is some you know uh, populist or you know mass um, influence that happens when people just leave, right? They just leave the denomination because it's gone so far left or whatever. Uh, but that's, that's like 30 steps behind this kind of stuff. And yeah. so that's, that's what these guys are doing. Right. Um, Ren goes on and says, again, we see the focus on elite networks in the passage about how more leveraged his secret society, his group aimed to empower two different categories of Christian. The first were high level operators with people with deep connections in the evangelical world who are undertaking myriad efforts to depollute their own denominations and affiliated churches. Because these efforts were often overlapping, Moore came to view his secret society, which ran the demographic and ideological spectrum, as being in charge of directing traffic. Right. So what is what is uh Russell Moore doing? Right. I mean, he write he'll write stuff every once in a while, but what is he doing in his day-to-day life? Right. He is doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. He is actively subverting the church from the inside. And he he starts, and this is this is how it works. Like if you think about like wherever anybody goes, like if you're in the PCA or SBC or um or just a uh independent, even larger evangelical church or whatever, right? Your pastor is influenced by other pastors and other leaders within evangelicalism, right? Mm -hmm. There he's not the the likelihood that he is just completely an island unto himself and every thought he's ever had about anything is totally independent is very very slim right yeah. he's influenced by other people and so right he is going to be listening to the guys that are hanging out with Russell Moore and the direction that they're pushing things right that's that's how these networks work right it's right. It, and it seems like it's organic that's the other thing it seems like it's oh, that's what naturally happens but it's not this is why this is why we keep saying too, like um, people like Russell Moore, they're so like involved, like mentally involved in their own world that they just have like very little in the way of like an ability to relate to what middle America, what blue collar America is going through. They just have it's just hard for them to rate. They, they, they literally see themselves as the protectors of American Christianity. Oh yeah, that's I mean when they use this rhetoric of like depolluting the church and and you know rebuilding the church and and things like this. Like they they're not, you know, it's not empty rhetoric, right? It's not just the stuff that they they tell themselves to make themselves feel good. Mm-hmm. But they really believe it. They really mm-hmm. believe that they're remaking American Christianity this way. Yeah. Right? That's 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 part of it. Like they they want to root out Anybody like you or me or the people listening to this and, and not only us, I mean, I think like the people like us are um, a much, much smaller group, very, very small that are like aware of these things going on. 
right? The average person, like you look at the average congregant of an SBC church, you know, probably voted for Donald Trump once, if, if not twice. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he probably listens to Ben Shapiro on the daily wire. And maybe you like, this is to Tucker Carlson, like he, and, and things like that. Like he's, he's kind of, you know, moderately, you know, normie con, right? Yeah. He he doesn't, he's not super, it's not like he's, you know, reading Carl Schmidt and thinking about friend enemy distinction or anything like that. Right. But he is, he'll be, he'll listen to, you know, conservative media, right? That's, that's where they're kind of at ideologically. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they work a, you know, either a working or middle-class job and um, they see the things happening in the country and it, and it upsets them. Yeah. And guys like Moore and the late Tim Keller and people like that, like you said, are completely dis not not only disconnected from from these people, but like they they're openly resentful of them. They don't want these people. Yeah, right? they they don't yeah. want uh, evangelicals who voted for Donald Trump and believed in his you know political agenda, right? They they despise them, and they want to root them out of the church, right? That's what this stuff is about. Um, and and so. And part of it too is like, well, if you have massive demographic change and you have, you import tens of millions of people who are uh, de facto, just by virtue of their circumstances, totally loyal to the regime, right? That's the constituency you want, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're much more malleable and, and, and everything else, right? So it's, it's kind of like when they talk, when, and more openly talks about this stuff, right? When he, I mean, this is the, the big op-ed he wrote in the New York times where it's a white church, no more. You know, and he's he's saying, you know, basically uh, advocating for a great replacement within American evangelicalism. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is. Ha- <laughs> yeah. OK, it's happening, but it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's yeah. great. We don't we don't we don't want you filthy, dirty white people in our churches anymore. Right. That's that's what he wants. Um, And so the last the last bit here, um, I think, because it, it goes into the future and what's happening now. Um, One particular effort that Alberta highlights was the creation of a curriculum and a politics targeting churches called After Party. Oh, man, these guys and their names, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> After Party is a venture of more French and Silicon Valley consultant named Curtis Chang. Chang uh, had come out of nowhere. Oh, that's always... Uh, yeah, that's always... Exactly. Uh, <laughs> to become a high-profile voice calling on evangelicals to get vaccinated against COVID nineteen, make sure you get your boosters, guys. This, uh, yeah, this is what's what's that? What's the Chinese program where they plant like specific people, uh, thousand faces or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. thousand yep. eyes, whatever it is. Yeah, this is like smacks of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and he got an op-ed published in the New York Times, for example. One of his videos caused controversy when it attempted to assuage evangelicals who might be worried that the vaccine use cells from aborted babies by saying that the COVID nineteen vaccine redeems abortion. Uh, <laughs> it redeems it. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, uh, consulting is a noble profession, if I must say so myself. Right, Ren is a consultant, <laughs> so <laughs> this is a yeah. little uh, self editorial. Uh, but I suspect very few of the evangelicals who consumed Chang's materials were aware he was producing them as a consultant for the government. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it until I read this book. By the way, uh, I, I, this Ren, not me, uh, got vaccinated, boosted for COVID nineteen. Right? He listened. Ren, maybe we'll have to give him a hard time if we. Maybe we'll we'll have to promise not to give him a hard time if he uh, comes <laughs> on this show. Um, after party was Chang's idea. One afternoon, while hiking the Gray Whale Cove Trail. 
along the spectacular San Mateo coast. Is that, can you confirm is CJ, is that uh, spectacular or not? Uh, it's San Mateo it, coast. Yeah. The entire coast is spectacular. It's California. It's perfection. Okay. Well, you heard it here. Um, Chang laid it all out for French, David French, of course, they needed to be organized, visible and well-funded to uh, well-funded effort to counter the work being done by the likes of Charlie Kirk, Eric Metaxas, Ralph Reed, David Barton, and so many others on the MAGA right. Chang, uh, Chang didn't envision some puritanical campaign to banish politics from the church altogether. What he had hoped to articulate was an alternative to the manic enemy at the gates mindset that was infecting American evangelicalism. This would be best accomplished by yeah. a systematic curriculum. Uh, something that could be studied by individuals and small groups. Something focused not on the who or what of politics, but on the question of how Christians are called to engage the culture. There was yeah. one, just one problem. Despite barnstorming the country, Chang was not able to raise much money for the project from evangelical donors. He then turned to secular funders. Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. He, right. This is interesting because nobody cared about this or wanted to give him any money within evangelicalism. So he had to go to the outside. Yeah. Right? So the wow. mainstream left is paying this guy to subvert the church from the yeah. inside. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. uh that's the way it goes. Um, and so groups like Pierre uh, Omidyar, I can't ever pronounce his name. I've I only I've only seen it in print. Uh, this is so, his democracy this is, fund. This is so funny because like every time we bring this stuff up about how like the the evangelical elites are basically in bed with the secular elites. You know, we get dismissed as you know conspiracy theorists, and they're the ones that are acting biblically and Christ-like yeah. and all this stuff. It's like yeah. you guys are literally taking blood money from people that don't care about the church and they want to see it devastated forever. Yeah, that it's they they hate us. That you're literally taking money from our enemies. And yeah. so, I mean, if in terms of friend enemy distinction, like these people are enemies, right? Not yeah. just the people that they're taking money from, but like French, more all of them, right? They they're actively seeking to subvert the church. Um, and so I, this brings me to um, an old thread, right? There's an old thread from uh, Dr. Stephen Wolf. He doesn't like being called doctor, but uh, I'm going to do it <laughs> anyway. Um, from 2020. And it's, it's very prescient uh, for the current moment, right? So he says, when the evangelical elite talk about persuasion in the public sphere, they usually assume the following ethos. One, punch right, thoughtfully engage left. Two, ascribe good faith to the left, despite many reasons not to, and ascribe bad faith to the right. Three, attack the right to gain credibility with the left, especially when it's about the right's hypocrisy. Four, credibility with the left is always the form that shapes the rhetoric. Uh, five, persuade the left not of ideas, but of your worthiness for toleration and willingness to be respectable. Mm -hmm. Six, treat every every accusation or moral condemnation from the left, no matter how crazy, as an opportunity for public self-criticism. Seven, theologize every concept of the left to the extent that you can gaslight those who call it a leftist concept. Eight, never morally condemn the left, always morally condemn the right. Nine, assert a fantastical moral political authority that would magically appear without the use of civil power. Ten. Assert only those narratives of history or events that CNN would air. 11. Never lead or begin an outrage mob. Always join it and Christianize your wing of it. Condemn Christians who do not express outrage. 
right? So a few of these, there's a few more we can we can go on, but we have to we have to comment on a few of those. So you you mentioned one of them already, CJ, where um you know the 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 point of like credibility and respectability that that's what that's the currency of the realm for these people. And, yeah. um, and, and the way that they gain it is, is the stuff that we saw in Ren's article, right? They are these hangers on attached to the regime and it, it gives them uh power, right? That's, that's what they're trying to carve out is a space where Christian, even joke Christianity can be allowed in the new order that's being enshrined in mm-hmm. America. That's so it's, you, you made this point before, right? It's, it's, it's like churches in China, right? The official church that's allowed, right? That is is totally, um, you know, totally aligned with the regime. It will never step out of line. Uh, so you can have there are churches in China, and that the official church that the government allows, that's it. That's what these guys are trying to create, right? That's that's what they want. Um, uh, and secondly, right the. Um, the outrage mob, right? Number point 11, never lead or begin an outrage mob. Always join it and Christianize your wing of it. Condemn Christians who do not express outrage. So this, he wrote this on August 29th, 2020. Uh, so what do you think he was talking about? There? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, but their playbook has not changed. I mean, you could see it on the, yeah. you could see it on the wall. Um, and, and Trump was sort of the, you know, um, canary in the coal mine here about mm-hmm. how these people would act and what their um, objectives were and what their strategy was. Um, yeah. Their strategy was to throw everybody under the bus and use Trump as sort of a proxy to do so. Well, uh, you remember what, seeing this. I mean, um, this is what I mean. This is what we've been saying. Trump is a proxy yeah. war. Trump is a proxy yeah. war for all of yeah, us. Like the, the man himself does not matter that much or how, how, you know, terrible his administration was actually I think it was mostly pretty good but how terrible his administration was and how he bungled certain things especially covid and things like that um right none of that matters to current politics whatsoever because it is it is th- this proxy war that you've you've been saying right they cannot allow this guy to be president and open the door to you know any any a, a any semblance of a right wing it's about in america it's it's about narrative management see like that's that's the thing that's what he represents is them losing control of the of the american mind first of all but that's also what he means to us he's a mechanism through which we can express our distaste in our um you know how much we despise the regime and all that it's done to the country that we love and that's so that's what trump represents for all of us it's a proxy yeah do you remember um you know, years ago, even before Wolf wrote this, the Covington uh, kid um, at the March for Life, you know, smile in the MAGA hat, smiling. Oh yeah, I can't, what was oh, it? Yeah. Sandman, I think it was his name. Sandman, um, yeah. And you had like Karen Swallow Pryor and Beth Moore and and all sorts of people like this losing their minds, calling this kid racist and evil and everything else. And this is an example of what Wolf is saying: like they're not leading or beginning the outrage mob. But they are joining it and they are Christianizing it. Like Beth Moore w- was talking about, of course, the Imago Day, right? This, uh, you know, schizophrenic homeless guy banging a drum at the kid. That guy has the Imago Day. So how dare you smile at him and laugh, right? Um, right. They joined, then the facts didn't matter, right? Again, like you said, it's right. narrative management, right? They mm-hmm. joined the official narrative and they promoted it within Christian circles. And they did the same thing in the mostly peaceful summer, right? Um, uh-huh. 
and written house they do it with uh george floyd yeah they they did it with written house and tgc still has that article up yeah calling him a a white nationalist uh vigilante or something and it's like they all of it every single i mean even recently with trump saying they're poisoning the blood Right. You see them doing, you see them doing this stuff. That's why, yeah, that's why I love Trump, dude. He's like, he's like, he's drawing out all their pathetic loser mindset. You know, it's, it's, that's why, that's why we love him. DeSantis is not doing that. No, no. And I, I mean, I, I, I brought that up today. Like, um, DeSantis the other day, uh, he's restoring, he's restoring legitimacy and trust. Yes. In the GOP. Yes. And, um, and, and like he, he was asked a question about the January 6th. Uh, oh yeah. Guys, and he's basically said like, they deserve to go to be in prison. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they're not patriots. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and it's like, really, man, like, uh, they're protesting, you know, what they would do to you if you were a threat, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, what are you talking about? And it's just an example. Like this, he has to say what the donors tell him, mm-hmm. right? He cannot. I mean, I, I contrast him to like Vivek, a Vivek, um, where like we've talked about, like we're not supporters of Vivek or anything, uh, but he serves a useful purpose, useful function to basically say things outside the Overton window and, and stand in as a proxy for Trump in the kind of clown show of these debates of also rants. And, um, and and Vivek has been honest about what happened on January 6th and is, has poked holes in, in the narrative. And he's able to do that because, you know, he's a very wealthy guy and a lot of the financing of his campaign is is his own. And um, he's not a white and he's not a he couldn't be mistaken for a white nationalist. <laughs> so. Yes, that's that's part of it, too. Um, he there's there's some leeway that he has there as well. Um, and so DeSantis can't do that. He can't say those things um, because he's beholden to the donors. Right. If, mm-hmm. if he said that stuff, the plug would be pulled immediately. So you, you see it. So, I mean, as much as a lot of people, and I think, you know, it makes sense why they do, why they like him. Um, it's he's, he has a ceiling of what he is allowed to do and what he is allowed to do is to restore legitimacy in the system. That's the point. Right. Whereas Trump just by virtue of existing, like, I think, I think if he had, you know, uh, his druthers, he too would restore legitimacy in the system and, and right, you know, he didn't face right, the operation right. he did, but exactly. We're not claiming, we're not claiming that he's going to set fire to the GOP. What we're no. claiming, what we're claiming no. is that his presence might cause the GOP to commit suicide because they're so stupid. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. And, and the, not just the GOP, but like the regime as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. We've, and we've made this point ad nauseum and it's worth saying again and again is they could have just let him do whatever he wanted. Right. And not right, done the right, insane right. stuff that they did. And it, it wouldn't have affected their power at, at all. Right. It wouldn't have. Um, but they couldn't do that. They, they could not allow someone who countered the narrative and you know, made immigration an issue. They, you mm-hmm. can't allow that. You cannot allow that to take place. Um, and so let's go on here a little bit. Otherwise, we'll be sidetracked talking about Trump and DeSantis and things like that. Um, 12 the point that wolf makes uh concealed cowardice and passivity with words like prudence wisdom <laughs> and christian yeah. witness right constant you see that all the time uh 13 question mo- the motives hypocrisy principles and winsomeness of every christian who might act or speak politically for some end that bothers the left uh 14 act in confidence and with resolve only when criticizing the right 
or when advocating for something the left agrees on, right? So you, you see this all the time. Like they, they oh, I'm going to be prophetic now and bold and, and really step on toes <laughs> when I'm advocating something the left agrees on, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do that. But uh, never, ever with something that's, um, you know, on the right, ever, mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. And you see this, I mean, even um, it isn't just like the guys that have been named um, here in, in Ren's article and elsewhere. Like you see it with guys like Kevin DeYoung. Like as I'm reading this, think of a guy like Ke- Kevin DeYoung, who I don't think they're part of like he's necessarily part of like Russell Moore's cabal or anything like that. But right. he's still trapped within this network of respectability. Right? right. So guys, guys like him. Right. That's how he acts, too. Right. I mean, just look at his article about the Moscow mood and, and Doug Wilson. Um, 15. Whenever you attack the left, always morally equate them with the right, which effectively redirects your criticism from the left to the right or your fellow Christians. So whenever they you know, rarely now talk about abortion. Right. This is what they do. Right. Well, abortion is dehumanizing, just like what Trump wants to do to illegal immigrants. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's what they, they'll always, you know, they'll always circle back around and do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sixteen. Every condemnation of the left must include a condemnation of the right, and if you can't do the latter, you stay si- silent about the former. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. Uh, Seventeen. Moral outrage directed to the right includes specific names, institutions. Moral outrage to the left is non-specific and contains only lament about general social ills and the Christian rights complicity or hypocrisy in it. It's just, right? so brilliant. Yeah. It's constantly what they do. Like they'll name names when it's on the right, when it's the left, eh, just kind of vague, yep. kind of nebulous. Um, yep. 18 purge the right, placate the left, right? If you say anything a little bit too right wing, you're gone out mm-hmm. of there. But if you're on the left, well, we'll just treat you with kid gloves. Yeah. Uh, 19. Right wing sins are unique and specifically condemnable. Left wing sins exhibit the world's general brokenness. Yeah. It's yep. a broken world, guys. What are we going to do? Uh, 20. A critical analysis from the right is dismissed as a grand conspiracy. Uh, critical analysis from the left deserves a charitable hearing. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you were to talk about the. Um, the most secure election in the history of mankind, um, you know, they would think you're nuts, right? I mean, even if you just, if you had hard evidence, not the crazier stuff, right? If you just said, it's weird that Pennsylvania had you know, more votes than registered voters by more than the margin of Biden's victory. That's pretty mm-hmm. weird, huh? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, I mean, you can look at the numbers yourself. Right. They'll think you're bonkers. They'll, they'll treat you like you are insane. Like you need to be locked up in a mental hospital. Yeah. But if if you if there's critical analysis on the left, right? Well, why are there racial disparities? Well, it's because of systemic racism, and here's why. Like they'll they'll treat that like like utter lunacy as though it's something serious, right? They'll treat Ibram X. Kendi as like the most brilliant scholar on earth. Uh, <laughs> like anything he says is just nonsense um yeah yeah the 21 Wait, did, oh, any of the, did, did any of these guys weigh in on uh the plagiarism thing uh like on the you know like more french yeah. or any of those people i don't think so i haven't seen anything if they did it's probably like oh christopher rufo's a racist and evil and and uh <laughs> yeah. uh things like that. Um, 
So, um, 21, we'll try to get through all of these. Uh, I don't know how much time you have, CJ. Uh, he has a lot of them. They're all great. Uh, unqualified, uh, unqualifiedly, uh, unqualifiedly validate all the feelings from the left. Validate the feelings of the right, if you must, but only in a highly qualified sense, in light of whatever claims the left makes concerning those feelings. Better yet, ignore them or reject them as racist, classist, or sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Always. Every single time. Uh, when the right, 22, when the right abuses power, it is wrong, evil in principle. When the left abuses their power, it is wrong or concerning only because it could embolden or empower the right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thanks, CJ. <laughs> um, when someone from the left dies, for example, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, say that you strongly disagreed with but respect him or her. When someone from the right dies, for example, Rush Limbaugh, stay silent <laughs> or express disdain, preferably yeah. indirectly, or with retweet or passive aggression. 24. Harsh denunciation for the right, good discussion and demonstration for the left. 25. When the left comes from your for your friends, stay silent. When the right comes from your for your friends, swiftly come to their defense, praise them for their courage, and mock and ridicule the right. And so, with the, the Claudine Gay stuff, this is this is basically it, right? Um, right. They uh, they'll they'll talk about and you see this how they how like the Harvard people do it is right. Uh, oh, it's racist and evil and things like that. But like if. If, if there were a conservative university president with an academic record like hers, right, they would uh, they go bananas over it like they'd attack. Right. So yeah. uh, 26 accuse fellow Christians of complicity and social ills in order to redirect criticism of the left to the right. 27. This one is this one's for you, CJ. Controversial thinkers, left wing thinker, spit out the bones, keep the meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, right wing thinker, grind up, incinerate and ritually spit upon <laughs> Right. This is the funniest one. Carl Schmidt, like every time I quote him. Yeah. Did you know did you know he he laid the foundation for the Hitler regime? Yeah. What? What? Uh Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it's it just I mean immediately makes you think of someone like Jake Medor, right? Um that uh, that he wants to accuse uh you of being, you know, a supporter of the Third Reich or something. Uh but He'll he'll read every kami under the sun, and mm-hmm. that's totally fine. You know that's okay. Um, Twenty eight. Reading the left hermeneutic of naivete. Reading the right hermeneutic of suspicion. And the last one, number twenty nine. Docs right, publish left. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and this of course is uh, is much later, right from April twenty twenty three. But that's that's their modus operandi. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Wolf definitely has their number. This is why, I mean, one reason why they hate him so much, uh, because right. He gets their entire playbook, right? This is how they, this is how they operate all the time. Yeah. Every single one of these things like this is like basically Wolf in this thread. Uh, and maybe, you know, I'll share it in the, in the chat here. Um, if I can, I'll try, um, in this thread, he is, um, he's basically like establishing the evangelical elite rules for radicals, mm-hmm. right? That's, that is what he's doing. Uh, and, and so you look at, if you read through this playbook and just, and you can identify every single thing these guys constantly do, everything Russell Moore, David French, all of them do, 
uh, and all of their acolytes, right? all the people that are influenced by them. This is how they operate. Um, so, uh, one thing I wanted to move on to was your tweets, CJ, uh, you have some good tweets and I've talked too much already today. You need to talk. You're having too much fun in the chat. I am. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I love, I, I love all of our fans. I love yes. everybody, including the haters and losers. Have a happy new year, everyone. Um, so, uh, the, um, the tweet that you made, um, and I, I think this is important uh, in, in relation to this conversation, because not only do you have groups within um, evangelicalism moving everything to the left, you also have um, a group that wants to move things to kind of the moderate center right. Right. So you have you. And that's that's something that I think is is forming is a network that wants to fill the void left by TGC and other things to make it just half a bubble off center to the right, right. Rather than like us who are, you know, reasonably right wing. And so you have a guy like Joel Berry, I think is an example of this um, where, right. He wants, you know, he wants um, just kind of a moderate rightism, like a, like a, like a Christian version of the daily wire, right. That's, yeah. that's well, what he wants. It's like a non-right conservatism. Right. So yes. like, yeah. so that's what it is. It's, it's serving the like, post-war consensus. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Remember the post-war consensus was the agreement to not go too far to the left or to the right. So yeah. it's, we're not right. We're not left. We're beyond that. We transcend those categories and we are for our universal ideals. And that's, that's what these people, that's what these people are advocating. Yeah. And so you, um, Ah, it's not working. Um, you know the tweet I'm talking about, though. I think I shared yeah. it with you earlier. Um, the proper view. Why don't you why don't you read it and we can discuss it? Um, the proper uh, view. I have one. to find it. Well, so well, I I'd have to find it. Um, basically, what I was trying Maybe to articulate. read it. <laughs> you want me to read it? Okay, I'll find yeah, it. I'll read um, it. All right. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't know where it is. Uh, <laughs> if you have it up, you can read it. All right, fine. I'll read. I'll I'll, I'll try to do your voice. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> the proper view of this is that there were multiple things going on at once. Well, I should I should read Joel Berry's tweet uh, for reference, right? Uh, so Joel Berry's quoting our friend Smash Bales about people in place. He says, "Yes, the people in place are united around an idea, right?" So uh, Smash Bales had a tweet against propositional nationhood. Right. The nation is based around people in place and heritage and so forth. Yes. The people in place who united around an idea. That was the whole point. The ideas that made America great didn't spring up out of the North American soil or emerge from our DNA. Right. And so he's conflating lots of things right there. And this is what CJ says. The proper view of this is that there were multiple things going on at once in the American founding. On one hand, there was certainly the seed of what would blossom into propositional nationhood. This is the view of the post-war consensus, which Barry represents. The view could be found in people like Paine and the pro-French radicals. It was also expressed in Jefferson's theoretical writings. I think we're currently seeing the extreme negative consequences of this way of thinking. On the other hand, there were conservatives such as John Adams and Hamilton and others who would think that such a project as, is dangerous and ludicrous. Their view is that America was founded on the continuation of British customs, which were being upended by trends in Britain. And therefore, as Russell Kirk would note, the American war for independence was a revolution not made, but prevented. Right. So uh, tell, tell us some more about that, CJ. Uh, 
the American Revolution is, it, yeah, it's, it's really hard to unravel. Like, there's this idea that we kind of grew up with that the American, um, the, the, like American, um, like ideology can be summarized with the with the line in the Declaration of Independence. You know, where we're, I don't even remember it. You know, all men are created equal, and you know, we all have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is what he used, right? So yeah. that that the all like what he was do what Jefferson was doing there is he was articulating the view of one faction. There's actually a lot of different factions, but he was articulating one specific faction of the pro-American secession movement. Um, yeah. That's That was kind of one view. But what 20th century America we did is it basically rejected all other interpretations of what had happened and made that the foundation of America, which is hilarious because mm -hmm. as these people never, like, never mention, the Declaration of Independence is actually not a founding document. It's not... It, it no. didn't create it didn't create the United States government at all. Um, it, it didn't even have like a binding um, it didn't even have like a binding uh, like relation to our formal legal obligations to England at all. Uh, it yeah. did express Jefferson's view. People like uh, Russell Kirk, they would interpret um, Jefferson's like the people that signed on to the Declaration of Independence. They would consider it a political document. They were trying to appeal to the like it's sort of a real politique way they were trying to appeal to the french to support them in their endeavors so they had to use pro-french language i think jefferson actually did believe it but russell Kirk would say that others didn't but regardless of that whole debate there's other parties interested in the american revolution and a lot of them were not absolutely not on board with radicalism a lot of them wanted a monarchy a lot of them thought that what um what america needed was like a sustained and um you know, like heavily ignited uh, hierarchy so a lot of them were not on board with this egalitarianism that sort of became like the american instinct in the 20th century so the idea that barry can say that america was founded by a bunch of people like um surrounding this ideal is just ridiculous uh, there's yeah. just like yeah. it's just it's just unhist it's just unhistorical um i do think the seeds of it were there for sure um but you cannot describe the american founders in this um this like completely homogenous way like that. Well, and you and just, I mean, looking at, for instance, uh, the preamble to the declaration to the United States constitution or right. the, the original immigration act uh, and what well, the way well, they right. thought about it. Right. Uh, read the they federalist were, papers. They're all yeah. one of the blessings of America. They were, they were saying is that here in America, we have the, the unity of like a single race of people that basically came together out of a specific custom and a context and they could unite there was this is this is the phrase that i use plurality of nationhood but unity of of ethnic experience yeah like so yeah. that's what for, you, like the like the phrase um e pluribus unum or whatever from many one they were talking about a plurality of nations in europe there was you know, a handful of nations from which america was founded they didn't mean like every individual from the entire world. And maybe you can say that, maybe that is better. I don't think it's better at all, but maybe you can say that, but you can't attribute to these conservative founding fathers, like 20th century American instincts. It's, it's just silly and ahistorical. No, no exactly. And it, it, and it, I mean, it, it is, I mean, just looking back at like, like Barry's comment, um, right. He's, he's reacting to, you know, racial essentialists, Right, who are saying that only, only um, it, it's 
only a biological function that uh, that created this, and it's entirely within DNA. Well, that's like that's that. the other thing. It, it, there are people that believe that there are oh, like yeah, like yeah. um like like that's the implication of like a Darwinist view. Yeah, and so yeah. like these people treat the whole debate as between 20th century universalism and like racialist DNA, like genetic materialism, like yeah. metaphysical materialism. Yeah, where. Well, 20- 20th century eugenesis and, and yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. that's that's not traditionalist Western classical metaphysics at all. They yeah. would consider culture as a spiritual thing, as something, yeah. and I don't mean spiritual like in your relationship with God or whatever. They meant as something that transcended the material. So yeah. these things yeah. sprang out of an experience. So when you import a bunch of people from Somalia, you're going to have a Somalian culture. Um, and why shouldn't they pursue their in- own interests? We can't expect no. them to do otherwise. Yeah, well, exactly. Like it's, um, it is like the spirit of a people is real, right? That is right. And, or, or the soul of a people, right? That mm-hmm. in their historic ways of life, the way, the way they think and act, what, what they view as, as beautiful and good, they're distinct from other peoples, right? Um, uh, right. that's, that's just, that's reality. And mm-hmm. so you look at the America that was created in the 18th century, in the late 18th century, right? Well, what what was that? Like the, those were those were English people. And by the way, and, by the way, like European in, more broadly, an indispensable book that everyone interested in this has to read. It's Barry Shane's book, The Myth of American Individualism. Um, that book has done so much to set the foundation for some of the ideas that like Stephen Wolf, um, it tries to communicate where America was basically founded by a bunch of Protestant sects that were interested in prolonging and expanding their own denominational interests. It was a Protestant founding. They had community and they had nationhood at the forefront of their minds, not individual self-interest. Yeah, you should put that uh, book link in in the chat. By the way, oh, now it's my turn, huh? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, I'll 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 keep reading your tweet while you do the do that. Uh, Barry, uh, Joel Barry, not the author uh, that you're linking to. <laughs> Barry naturally cannot fathom the concept of culture bounded ideas, as he demonstrates by choosing as his alternative things like DNA. The founding generation would have viewed culture. Not as something rationalistic like Payne and the French and Barry, uh, French revolutionaries, not David French, although him too, uh, nor as materialistic genetic, which is the view he juxtaposes to his own, but would have viewed the people as a spiritual community, a community of souls that have, is shared, uh, that have shared a common ancestry and historical experience. Mm-hmm. America is not an idea. It is a people. It The ideas to which they were committed were downstream from their experiential heritage and their shared ethnocultural sensibilities. They, unlike Barry and genetic radical racialists and most late moderns did not conceive ethnicity in purely material terms. Their souls were shaped by the souls of those who came before all over the Federalist papers and other founding era documents are references to the future of the founders, posterity, their, their racial unity, despite national plurality and the expansion of their British way of life into the new world. America only became a Jacobin project post the progressive era, which is where Barry's sociological instincts are shaped, right? That's, that's the point. And, and the reason why, um, you know, I, I bring this up in, within the context of like the, the leftist subversion of the church is that th- people like, like Joel Barry 
or you know Michael O'Fallon and and G three and Noah Stray and people like that. They're they're going to there's going to be a vacuum uh, within the the leadership of evangelicalism, and guys like this will try to fill that vacuum with post war consensus ways of thinking, twentieth uh, century ways of thinking about uh, uh, sociology, humanity, right, um, uh, liberalism, egalitarianism, all of these things. Uh, that's what the void they're going to try to fill the void with. So it isn't just the David French's and Russell Moore's and and people like that, that we have to be wary of. It's, it's things like this where it's like, you have those people saying stuff that's just insane right on the left, but then, or they're coddling the insane people on the left, but then you'll have the people here who will say this stuff that is, is equally wrong. Right. It, and, and equally preposterous actually. Right. Uh, the idea that you can just import the, I mean, just for like sake of a thought experiment, like if, if Joel were here on the, you know, in the, in the chat with us, I would love to ask him, like, if you totally replace the population of the United States with the populations of Guatemala and Honduras and, and so forth and said, all right, you're going to live by these principles and ideas, right? Here's the declaration of independence and the constitution and everything else. Here's our laws and way of life, right? What would it look like? Would it look mm-hmm. like America, you know, as it previously existed, or would it look like Honduras exists now? Right. Like, what exactly. would it be like? Exactly. Right. I mean, it takes us, you know, it kind of takes us back That's- to to Trump and uh, talking about people from, you know, yeah, uh, crap hole countries. This right? is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem because, like, like, the people made it that way. Yeah, exactly. It's like this idea that that people are just completely interchangeable, like. Like the, the idea that, that a man himself is literally just a, like a like a body and you can place him anywhere he wants and he would just grow up exactly like those people. He, like he would have no other predispositions, yeah. preformed sentiments, nothing spiritually inherited by his, to his uh, from his parents and his uh, you know forefathers. That whole way of viewing things is actually very materialistic. It actually yeah. denies denies the spiritual aspect of man, which is that a man himself is the spiritually like his soul is the product is, is the generative product of his parents and those that came before all of our instincts and yeah. sentiments and cultural values. These things are inherent with us and they're not arrived at rationally. No, no one, nothing anybody believes ultimately or very little actually is something that you like think through like logical syllogisms. Right. And, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> determine like that way. Like that's yeah, not, that's, that's not how that, anything is. That's, that's the French rationalist view though. That's yeah. the enlightenment. Yeah. That's, that's the view of people like Voltaire and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And Rousseau and everything else like that, that is that. And, and, and what Barry's espousing is that yes. right? it is, it's materialistic and rationalistic that that humanity is not that way at all, and only when you begin to adopt genuinely right wing uh, under understanding of the world, right? Which, when I say genuinely right wing, it's just the way everybody thought before 1789, right? Um, <laughs> right, right, more or less. And right if, until you begin to think that way about people, humanity, everything else, um, you are going to be, you know. Uh, completely left wide open to the things that the left does, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, that's the point is you're just, you're completely vulnerable to the insane people that want to drive the church to the left, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they're able to gain, gain credence with people is because, right? They have all these sentiments already, 
right? They already have these views that just need to push it a little bit further and they'll adopt left-wing sentiments if they're a person like Joel Berry and everything else, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's their like game plan. That's what they want to do is just shift a little bit. Like you don't have to be, you know, a total goal, radical commie with like purple hair and things like that. Just kind of be okay with the way things are, right? That's Mm -hmm. be okay with, with, uh, you know, tens of millions of people from third world countries invading your country. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they're not criminals. That's mean to say that like Nikki Haley says, right. Yeah, that's, that's the attitude that, that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think you, um, did really well uh, to explain this and, and it, and it, uh, especially because anytime you talk about, um, race or ethnicity or, or things of, of that nature, immediately they think you're like some kind of wig nat or something. Well, that's the thing. I'm not like what I would call a race, uh, essentialist. Yeah. Like, so I don't, because I mean, obviously we're being led by like white liberals, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. they have yeah. no interest in like uh, original wasp culture. Yeah. Anyways, with that, we, we kind of got to, we kind of got to cut it short. Cause I got to yeah, help. We're, my kids. we're out so. of time. Well, uh, there's a few things I want to promo before we, we go. I've, I've, but uh, a few months ago, I did a video series with, uh, Adam Robles and, uh, Oh yeah. And, uh, and Joel, um, uh, from right response and, uh, not Joel Berry. <laughs> That'd be fun if we had a lot of uh, name overlaps going on. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of that today, but, um, we, we did that and it, uh, it, it was about the book, the Boniface option. And so they're, they're dropping uh, an episode every week for the next 10 weeks, uh, on the right response, uh, uh, channel. And so, um, they're really, really well done. And I think everybody who listens to us, um, Joel, yeah, Joel, why did I, you know, when you're on here, I forget to, yes, Webin, I will say his name, Joel Webin, Webin, uh, uh, yes, my friend, Joel Webin, <laughs> uh, he did an excellent job with them, uh, at, at right response. Uh, so you can check out their, their YouTube channel and, and see those, the, um, the discussion was really, really good, and uh, maybe next time we'll get CJ down there with us when when we do one of these things. That would be maybe, that would be fun. Maybe, maybe next time I'll be invited. You never know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, it got lost in the mail. Like, same place my oh, crooked gum yeah. ended up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with that, um, anything else you want to promo or add, CJ? Before we uh, uh, no, follow me on Twitter um, and have a good have a good week. That's it. That's what All I want right. to promote. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you for getting us to a thousand subs, by the way, the big milestone. We love you all. Thank you so much. Stay peacefully dangerous and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>